So this morning we're going to start a series called Our Journey, uh, and the first, this Sunday is called Why Bethany, and you'll, you'll understand a little more as we get into it, but that's, that's really the question I want to start before I kind of get into the meat of the stuff this morning, Why Bethany? So this is what I want you to do, I want you to turn to somebody that's sitting by you or around you, if you don't know them, introduce yourself, get their name, and then I want you to talk about why, why this community, why are you here, why this community of faith, why do you come here? here to worship. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to do that. So are you all ready? You get, get a name. And, and why am I here? Why do I choose this community of faith? Ready, set, go. Time's up. So, so back to me. And uh, uh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about what we're doing this morning. Uh, a couple of years ago when we launched into this building, uh, this program to build a structure that you're worshiping in this morning, the pastors begin a conversation about, okay, so like once the building's built, then how do we build the body of Christ? Because remember, the building is, is not the church, the, the community is. And so we begin to talk about that. And when that began about a two-year conversation that we uh, started a couple of years ago about how to do that. What we did was we, uh, we engaged with a process that Patrick Lencioni, who's a national consultant with the Table Group, uh, had laid out in a book called The Advantage. Uh, we became acquainted with him through the Global Leadership Summit. And so we began working our way through that, and, and uh, I'll say a little more about that in a minute, but th that started a, a long series of conversations every Monday afternoon for a couple of hours among the pastoral staff of the church uh, and, and brought us to where we are at this point. I, I need you to know that, that after all that time, and we worked through all this, we had conversations with the lead team, we had conversations with the ministry staff, uh, lots of conversations with each other over the years. Some of those conversations were uh, pretty frank uh, in, in how we worked together and our personal strengths and weaknesses, uh, which was sometimes uncomfortable, but good. Uh, and so we did that over a couple of years. And then uh, this last year at annual conference, uh, Thomas Johnson went to a workshop led by uh, an organization called the Unstuck Group which works with churches and nonprofits that have gotten stuck in what they're doing, and, uh, and, and brought us their materials, which looked eerily similar, uh, because they also follow Lencioni's methodology in what they do. And actually, as we read through it, the more we read through what they had, the, the, the more it looked like what we'd done over the past couple of years. So uh, we kind of consider that some Holy Spirit confirmation of the work we've done. We're going to be rolling some of that work out to you over the next several weeks. So what I'm going to do today is kick off this uh, as we move into this. And then, uh, and then uh, next couple of weeks, you're going to hear continuations of pieces of this as we go forward. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask you to come and shine the light of your presence into the midst of us and open our hearts and our minds and our spirits uh, to where you lead us. Uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the question that kicked us off as we were talking about this was to establish some, uh, some kind of a core vision for the church. And, and that was, again, you know, the walls are complete. We put the building up. We finished over here in Shalom uh, after that. But we, we got this building complete. And the question is, how do we build the body of Christ? Not just the church building, but the actual body of Christ. One of the things we recognize is this is a diverse church. We go in a lot of different directions. If you are unfamiliar, uh, this road out here, Anderson Mill, is the dividing line between Williamson and Travis counties. Those of you that know, Travis County traditional votes Democrat, Williamson traditionally votes Republican, which is why the pastors hate every election year, um, because we get stuck in the middle of that. Uh, but, but nonetheless, we recognize that we have a broad spectrum of opinion within the church and understand that. Um, we also recognize that part of that diversity is we have people that come from all kinds of different backgrounds and religious backgrounds and theologies coming into the place 
which sometimes makes it very difficult for us to be effective in what we do because we're going in so many directions. So we decided you know, we needed a stronger alignment around who we were and what we were trying to do in order to effectively answer God's call upon our lives in this congregation. Uh, you know, trying to kind of herd this bunch of cats sometimes got a little chaotic and people going in all kinds of different directions. And, and what happened was we realized we really weren't being effective in a lot of that. And not only that, we were uh, spending a lot of time, uh, effort, resources of the church, staff energy, trying to run down all those different rabbit trails. And we realized that we needed some better alignment so that we could optimize the way we operate as a, a congregation and as a staff uh, in order to be more effective in what God was calling us to do. So it was that, that desire to kind of get really clear about uh, who we are and where we're going that started this conversation uh, and that we went through over the years. We looked at uh, history of the church, things that we felt were present and past values of the church as well as where we want to go uh, and all of that. And, and we kind of worked with that over the years to come up with um, what you're going to be hearing over the next couple of weeks. What I'm going to be talking about mainly this morning is what Lencioni says is the, you know, why do we exist statement which is what we call our call and purpose. Now, the second sentence of this should be familiar to you, right? Uh, leading people to experience God's love, know Jesus Christ, and grow in his image. You've heard that before? Yes. And, and just in case, you know, you're sitting there thinking, where have I heard that? If you look at the front of your bulletin, it's like printed right there under Bethany. It has been like every, t every Sunday for like eight years now. So it's, it's been there. That's not a new statement. That's an old statement uh, <clears throat> that we've been using for a long time. It represents uh, kind of in a, in a nutshell, kind of uh, Wesley's scripture way of salvation, uh, shortening it down and simplifying it quite a bit to talk about God's uh, prevenient grace, God's justifying grace, God's sanctifying grace, God's prevenient grace, which makes us aware of God's love for us and our need for God's love and invites us into that relationship. Uh, God's justifying grace, which reconciles us with God, reunites us, brings us to a right relationship with God through the offering of Christ, and uh, brings us to know Jesus Christ personally as our Lord and Savior. And God's sanctifying grace, God's ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us to, uh, to recreate us in the original image of righteousness that God created us in, uh, the very image of Christ himself. So, so that language we did not change. We brought that over because we felt that's still applicable. Uh, and so we held on to that. The first sentence of this, however, is one that we spent a lot of time working on. I don't know, how, how many times did we rewrite this when... Uh, yeah, several times. So uh, <clears throat> we, we struggled to get this to where we wanted it to be. And I'm going to spend this morning kind of unpacking that first sentence that God calls Bethany to be a community participating in God's mission of love transforming us in the world. I'm going to unpack each kind of segment of that as we go through. First off, uh, I suspect as you talked with one another, one of the things that came up was community, uh, because we've heard that before uh, with people in this church that, oh, well, this is, I came in and this is, I found my place, I found my, my community of faith here and, and have been supported in that. And I want to remind you that community is an essential part of Christianity. Uh, this is the very, this is the way the church starts in the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, all those uh, folks that gathered in Jerusalem, the broader group of the disciples, uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. I'm not going to make you do that this morning, so relax. <clears throat> 
Day by day as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home uh, and, and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I mean, this is how the church starts as a community that gets together for worship and shares it together with one another. And even back then, they ate meals together. So you're good shape, Methodist. Um, but, but the other part of this is if you think back to Jesus beginning his ministry after his baptism and his temptation, the first thing he does is he calls the disciples. He gathers a community. Uh, Christianity has always been a community faith. It's always been a community faith, historically. We've always been a, a group that, that has come together as community. Uh, even in those parts of our tradition where we've talked about people who are hermits or solitaries, they've always been required to worship with a community in a cathedral or a church or a monastery. Christianity has never been an individualistic faith. It's always been community. It has private parts, but it always ties together back in the community. And that's important because we need each other for accountability and for support. John Wesley would say there is no personal holiness without social holiness. And he did not mean by that social work or social justice or social ministry. What he meant was you cannot personally be holy unless you're part of a community, a band, class, society, worshiping community, where you are held accountable and you are encouraged. We as Christians have always walked as a community. Uh, when I was on the Board of Ordained Ministry of this annual conference, <clears throat> and we'd have uh, people that we had to uh, go, uh, and I'll, it was literally the, the, the group that did investigations into complaints that we received, uh, we coined a phrase, and we talked about people making mass mistakes. And mass was an acronym. It stood for money, alcohol, sex, and stupidity. And what we discovered was that when, when people isolate, when we, when we are not connected to a community, we have a tremendous ability to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not giving in to temptation or into making a really poor uh, you know, decision of judgment, uh, all the while thinking we're doing a good thing. We have a tremendous ability for self-deception. Uh, and we need the community around us sometimes to hold a mirror up to us and say, you need to look at this. Is this really what you want to do? Uh, we, we need that kind of community to hold us accountable because otherwise it's too easy for us to go off on some strange trail and make really bad decisions in our lives. Uh, the other end of that is we need that community to hold us uh, not only accountable, but to lift us up and encourage us to be with us in difficult times and to give us hope when we're losing hope and to surround us and, and be a source of healing uh, for us in times that are, that are painful and hard for us to move through. Um, this past week, uh, my daughter-in-law's mother uh, had emergency surgery Thursday night. Uh, she is still in ICU as of this morning. And, uh, and we sent prayer requests. We sent them to the team in this church. We sent them to the, the team in Munger Place in Dallas, where my son had served previously, and down to Port Lavaca, where he currently serves. And, and all those communities have been in prayer for her and for her mother. And that's been a tremendous source of encouragement and support and strength for her whole family as they have moved through this and uh, uh, will continue to be so. So, uh, you know, we need that community. And all of you who've been through those moments know how important that is and, and what a blessing that can be in those kinds of moments. We need to be in community for, for accountability, but also for encouragement and support as we grow in faith and as we deal with the things that life brings us. So we're called to be a community that participates in God's mission. 
We talk about missio dei, the, the Latin uh, language for God's mission, uh, reminding us that this is God's mission, not our mission. Uh, when Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says to the disciples, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say all authority has been given to you, right? He doesn't say all authority has been given to the church. He says all authority has been given to me. You then should go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything, to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I mean, we're sent out under Jesus' orders. We're sent out empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the authority does not belong to us. It belongs to God. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Where it's always about being part of what God is doing, not part of what we're thinking up, not based on our resources, not about our ideas, but participating in what God's doing. In the Acts of the Apostles, early on when Jesus is ascending to heaven, uh, the disciples come together and they ask Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Again, you know, it's, this is not your business. The, the, the authority belongs to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power to do this, and then you will be my witnesses. You notice he doesn't say you might be, or we'd like it if you would be. He says you will be. You will be. The only question is, what kind of witness will you be? And what we're called to witness to is what has been given to us by God, by the authority of God. We are called to participate in God's mission, not to think up our own, not to come up with our own personal agenda and ask God to bless it, but rather to participate in what God is doing. So last week I was in Kenya. I was in the area development project that this church partners with World Vision in working. Uh, I was asked to take a group of pastors from around the country uh, into that uh, project uh, by World Vision uh, to kind of be there as an interpreter for what's going on there. And so uh, we flew in to show them, uh, you know, what's happening in that area. And, and the change that is occurring in that area is, is really dramatic. Uh, and so as we went through and, and we met with different people, uh, there were certain things I kept hearing. I kept hearing from the different organizations and schools and, and so forth in the community. They would say, you know, we, we were... We were dying. Uh, we were desperate. Uh, we prayed to God. And, and God sent World Vision to help us. And then the World Vision people would say something along the line of, you know, we, we prayed about this and, and, and asked God, you know, what God wanted us to do. And God led us to work here with you. Now you hear all through that. They could easily say, hey, we came up with this great idea. But what they kept saying is, oh, no, God is working in this community. We prayed about it, and God is working, and we're just getting to be a part of what God's doing. It always went back to, to God's mission and what God was doing. We're a community participating in God's mission. God is at work, and we are invited to be part of that. And God's mission is defined by, by love. Not, not just warm, fuzzy, emotional love, but love that has backbone and love that has strength and love that has a will to it. Um, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. That's not a warm, fuzzy thing, to lay down your life for someone else. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. This, is, this isn't just emotionalism or sentimentality. This is a willingness to, to love based on the truth that God has shared with us and, and the actions that God calls us to take. And, and in a culture which is rapidly becoming more and more post-Christian, this at times calls us into positions and places and actions that can be very uncomfortable. And we just need to recognize the reality of that. We no longer live in a, a easily Christian culture. Uh, and we are going to be called to be in a place and to take action sometimes that can be very uncomfortable. There's nothing comfortable about laying your life down for someone else. But if God has loved us in that way, that's the kind of love that God calls us to. That's what defines his love. Participate in God's mission of love and transformation, transforming us and transforming the world. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says, if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a more radical statement than most of us realize. We're called to be reconciled to God and to be, recon uh, to be transformed, uh, to be made new, and to become the righteousness of God. I want you to hear clearly, we're not called to reconcile God to the world, but to reconcile the world to God. It's not about making God relevant to the world, it's about whether we are relevant to God. It's an entirely different question than what we usually ask. And it's not about simply getting by. It's not about coming on Sunday morning and kind of getting your fix and being able to feel good about yourself and then going out and doing the same thing all over the next week. It's about inviting God to mess with you to change you, to transform you, to restore you. John Wesley would talk about this as sanctifying grace, and, and he considered this to be the key, the key understanding that the Methodists brought to the table. He would say, by salvation, I mean not barely, according to the vulgar notion, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, its original purity, a recovery of the divine nature, a renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness and justice, mercy and truth. Not, not, not some vulgar notion, not just, you know, deliverance from hell or, or going to heaven. That's what some of us in the, in the church call the fire insurance policy method of Christianity, right? We're going to believe so that we don't burn, you know, that the kind of, right? I mean, no, 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 there's more to it than that. It's a present deliverance from sin. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying it isn't simply about not feeling guilty about your sin. He's saying that God has the power to deliver you from the power of sin. That in this life and in this moment... 
you can be more than you have been. That God can work that change in you. And God can set you free from that so that you recover the original image of God in which you were created, that image that's been tarnished by sin. God can restore that in you. And you can once again carry the true righteousness of God. This is a radical understanding. It's radically different than what most people think of. And and Wesley thought it was so important that in the last year of his life, he would write this letter to uh, Robert Carr Brackenberry. And in that, he'd say, I'm glad Brother D, and some of you have that name, so I changed it so you wouldn't. Anyway, I'm glad Brother D has more light with regard to full sanctification. This doctrine is the grand depositum which God has lodged with the people called Methodists. And for the sake of propagating this chiefly, he appeared to have raised us up. This idea that God can work this change in us is, is in Wesley's mind. This is what Methodism was mainly about. That, that it went beyond simply not going to hell. It was about being delivered from sin in this life. That God could work that change in us, that kind of transformation. In Wesleyan Methodism, there is no such thing as a Popeye Christian. Y'all, y'all know Popeye? Y'all remember, some of you remember the cartoon? Right? Some of you, you're old enough, some of you, to remember that, right? Don't, don't be lying to me, right? And, and what was Popeye saying? I am what I am, right? That idea that I am what I am and I can't change that and this is as good as it gets. In Wesleyan Methodism, that does not hold. And Wesleyan thought you can always be more and God can always work more in you. You can always become more like Christ by the power of God working in your life. Now, now I want you to hear it's not simply a matter of, you know, waving a wand and saying, poof, okay? Uh, Those of you who are in the recovery community, you know that that kind of transformation is something you work on and you pray about and you invite every day of every week of every month of every year for the rest of your life. But in Wesleyan understanding, God is there to do that. And I want to be really clear that when we talk about transformation like this, it begins here. It begins with me, and it begins with you. So don't be looking down the road at somebody else, all right? Don't be thinking, well, of course, you know, that means, oh, so-and-so over there ought to do this, that, and the other. And Wesley's thought, you know, don't you know, no, no, you worry about yourself first, and you work on yourself. And then as you become more holy and more righteousness, that begins to spread from you into others. But it's really easy for us to decide that instead of working on ourselves, we need to work on someone else. And my friends, that is simply denial and avoidance. It is about offering ourselves up to God to be at work in us, to work this great change. So all that comes together. Bethany, we're called to be a community participating in God's mission of love, this powerful, strong, powerful love, transforming us and the world. And and as we talked about that, we talked about how how does that play out within the congregation? And we came up with what we call the four pillars of spiritual growth. We reached into the material of the reveal study done by Willow Creek. Uh, and Willow Creek did a survey of thousands, hundreds of thousands, literally, of Christians and, and said, what are the catalytic practices that you've been involved in, the things that have, uh, have allowed God to enter into your life and make change in your life? And at a community level, we identified worship, discipleship, service, and generosity. These are the four main pillars of spiritual growth. Now, within those are individual things that have to do with prayer and scripture reading and so forth. You're going to hear that unpacked over the next several weeks. 
But for now, I'm just introducing you to let you know that these are coming. Uh, we're going to be talking about these over the next several weeks. Uh, these four pil- pillars of spiritual growth that put us in a place to, to be ready to receive what God wants to do within us. And when you leave this morning out in the uh, gathering area, <clears throat> you're going to see these, uh, the, these little feats out there uh, like this. Uh, it, if you are willing to commit to, to enter into this journey and to offer yourself up to it, uh, you'll write your name on this uh, and then put them in the basket. And there's a mural of some kind that's going to be created. I don't know if I know what that looks like. <clears throat> and I'm probably not the best person to do that. But, uh, but, but there's going to be a mural created that's going to indicate our desire to enter into this journey of spiritual growth together. And then at the back uh, along the wall there, you're going to see tables with each one of these uh, pillars with the name of it by one of those tables. And you can go to that table and they will have information and help you discern uh, where is it I need to go and what do I need to do next uh, to, to, to grow deeper, to grow closer to Christ and to allow God to work in my life. So I invite you as you leave to take advantage of that this morning. They're going to be out there for several weeks. So if you don't, uh, don't get to it this morning, they will be there next week also waiting for you. Uh, and so uh, I invite you to join in on that journey as we begin this fall. When I, when I was putting this together, I thought, you know, how can I, what, what kind of encapsulates this? You know, where, where in Scripture can you find something that kind of captures this whole idea of, of us growing uh, more and more like Christ? And, and, I, and I found myself drawn to Eugene Peterson's translation or transliteration of Romans 12, 1 to 2, which sounds like this. So, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, because we're going to need God's help. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. I want you to hear that again. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I want to invite you as we move into the fall to begin that journey of offering your life up to God, every aspect of it from the morning to the evening, Embrace what God has done for you. Let God be at work in your life. That you may go from from wherever you are now, whatever level of immaturity you may struggle with, to this mature life in God, which reflects the very righteousness and love of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come this morning and we, we bring all of our life and we offer it up to you. We bring to you our our rising in the morning and our going to bed in the evening. We bring to you our our, our cooking of meals and our cleaning up of dishes. Uh, We bring to you the work that we do and the school and the studies that we're involved. The the trip to those places, the the traffic on 183. (laughs) We bring to you those things that bring us joy and those things that bring us sorrow. Those things that are a celebration and those things that try our souls. And we lift them all up and offer them to you and ask you to be in all of them. We open ourselves to embrace all that you would do for us. 
that every aspect of our life, every aspect of our heart, every aspect of our being might be changed from immaturity to the maturity of your glory. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.